five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, how Facebook and Google rigged ad markets. <laughs> the best part is both CEOs of Google and Facebook, there's absolute proof, unredacted, Evidence reveals that Facebook and Google CEOs knew about the Jedi Blue ad rigging scheme. My word, as if they didn't have enough money. <laughs> the Internet giants officially called Alphabet and Meta received 52% of digital ad spend Okay, last year. And if that isn't enough, court documents from a recent lawsuit show that the firms rigged ad markets. Facebook wanted to start doing something with banner ads that would have impacted Google ad network. Google decided instead of that, instead of letting them create a competing place, Google would uh, create a Google managed system to bid on and manage ads which would give preferential rates on ads. It's basically where Google can can put their put their finger on the scale. It's a, a, an idiom that uh, you you'd use for talking about your butcher. You know, so you buy a pound of meat and the and the and the butcher puts the pound puts the meat up on the scale and leaves his finger on it just a little bit, pushed down a little bit. So instead of getting a pound of meat, you get you get 14 ounces and a half a finger, but you don't get to keep the finger. <laughs> and uh, and so that, um, and they also controlled who had the first dibs on prime ad placement. Uh, and, you know, is it is it the end of the world? No, but it just shows you that they're, they're not ethical, much less legal. They're the cheating butchers. And uh, as if there weren't enough ad fraud. We all know about the bots, that most of the traffic on the Internet is bots and that most of the bots are run by AI. And so the AI are telling your Google ad network <laughs> uh, attribution which ads they like and which they click on. And you're telling your CFO how effective your advertising is because Google tolerates the bots. Facebook tolerates the bots. And the whole thing is a big shill game. Anyway, they're getting caught. States are suing Google for a number of ad rigging schemes. Isn't the only one. And if regulators win one or more cases, maybe they'll be, have, be in for some trouble. I doubt it, but that's the way it is. Okay. So I wanted to take the most of the time for six common and costly direct mail mistakes from Patrick Carroll up at at SQL up in uh, Minneapolis, where Eric Koenig is up there running stuff, I think. Anyway, uh, and so his premise is an excellent one. Launching into the people are wanting to launch into the direct mail channel, and that involves a significant investment. Okay, you can't just take your your digital ads and put them on a postcard. I mean, you can, sure you can, of course you can. And uh, and that's one of the points that you got to you got to read this article with a take it with a grain of salt. It talks about errors and it talks about it's really about 
can you overcome these errors? Sure. I was at Namoa years ago. Now it's about five or six years ago when uh, Wayfair got up and talked about for an hour or more, talked about their launch of a catalog and how they didn't know that they should be buying paper. Uh, they weren't prepared for that. They weren't prepared for the complexity of an organized vehicle. You know, a catalog is an organized vehicle. Uh, you could think of it as a thousand ads, but it's not the same as doing a thousand ads. Because you can do a thousand ads one a day, you know, for a while, or five a day, or 20 a day, and get it done. And there's not necessarily a relationship between, you can use a template or whatever, but you can just put out the ads. The catalog doesn't work that way. You know, you make this one a little bigger, and this one's got to be a little smaller. It's got to. And, uh, you know, you write a little too much copy in one, you got to have a little less in another. Or you got to cut the copy, or you got to do something, you know. And so it's a puzzle. And it has to all fit together at the end. And if you're not used to doing that, it's, it's, it is puzzling. And I remember sitting at the table, you know, listening to the speaker. And I said to some, you know, sort of loud enough for the table to hear, if they would have called any one of us at the table, we could have prevented all this. And that was true. It really was true. But they bumbled through and they got it going and they printed a lot of catalogs. And I think it did pretty well, actually. I don't know what the state of it is now. I don't buy from them. But, uh, you know, you, you can just give it a go and see what happens. Um, so brands have their eyes on mail. Here's some of the costly direct mail mistakes. The first one is mailing with a single list source. Okay. And what that means is, is that you say to, you say to somebody, you say to me, you call me up and say, somebody called the other day and said, I'd like to reach, uh, well, this, in this case, it was a list source. I'd like to reach 20 zip codes. I'd like emails to, you know, to, to, to email to 20 zip codes. Can I find that? Oh, sure. I can find that. Okay, so I call somebody. It's the, the the problem is, and it wasn't even every. It was new movers, and the trouble is, is that that's not a very big number. You know, it's going to be a couple of thousand, and most lists have a minimum of like five thousand. So if you're going to do a very very small mailing, one list source is all you're going to get. You know, now you can still subdivide within that, but it's not going to be statistically significant. So one of the one of the things that makes mail work as far as a testing arena is if you have enough to be statistically valid. If you don't, you know, you're, 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 it's not going to make any sense whatever you get because it's going gonna, it's gonna to change and one or two orders can throw the thing all in a, in a kilter. So, but the first thing you do, uh, the first thing you do is decide to mail at least, uh, uh, the number of list sources is, let's say, a minimum of 5,000 in each list source. So if you want to test four lists, you're going to have to mail 20,000 names. That's that's a that's a good way to think of it. I mean, it's not is it is it absolutely is it absolutely for certain that way? No. But I like a lot of things in this article. I'm sure that Patrick and I would agree on it if we talked about it over a beer. But um, I'm going to just give you a little different perspective on some of this stuff. Um, so if you tested four data providers, the chances of one of those lists performing 25% better or worse than average is practically a guarantee, absolutely. Is one going to be great and three are going to be kind of crappy? Now, the trouble is if you repeat the same, the same test with the same list sources, you might get a different one. That's, what, what's, that's the tricky part. And that's why a, a significant number and also some 
rationale behind the list choice is often good. Um, uh, so anyway, the uh, Patrick says that you know the list sources are sophisticated data science and data skilled scientists and stuff. But if you don't have enough data, it doesn't matter what they do. You know, and and just because you have all that sophistication doesn't mean really all that much. I remember Miles Kimball talking about a, a data provider that I think they said started with a G and uh, will not be named. Uh, and uh, and this G data source said, "Well, just send us your customers, and we'll decide what they're like." And but the problem is, is that they're looking at it with geodemographics or third-party click data or who knows what validity, whereas Whereas Miles Kimball was looking at, and it's called Silver Star now, but it, you know everybody thinks it's Miles Kimball. Everybody, but you know they they know their customers, they know what they're like, they know what they buy, they know what they buy on a repeated basis. So uh, they said, you know, would you like to know what we think our customers are like? No, we're going to do it all with sophisticated data science and skilled data scientists. Okay, you know. It's like, it's like, you know, just because you have a powerful tool, you know, just because you have a microscope doesn't mean you should use it to drive your car, you know, look through it to drive your car. It's not just, it's just not always appropriate. And so almost all of this stuff is taken with a great assault. Predictive modeling is best at ruling out who isn't likely to buy. It's not that good at pick, picking who's going to buy. Just saying. Okay. So merge purge, that's another interesting kettle of fish. Okay, so if you had four data sources, the most anybody, if somebody was on all four lists and you didn't do a merge, they'd get four, they'd get four catalogs. It's not the end of the world, you know. And one of the things we found out over the years is the more times you mail somebody, the more chance they have to pass it along to a friend if they like it. So, so no matter what anybody thinks about merge purge, the biggest reason to do it is to avoid customer complaints about getting four pieces of mail on the same day. Otherwise, it doesn't really improve response. It isn't an error per se. <clears throat> and what I typically do instead of instead of purging those duplicate records, if I have a, a name that's on four list sources, I'll mail them again. I'll mail them once with everybody else. Then I'll mail them again in two weeks, and then I'll mail them again in two weeks, and then again in two weeks. And I keep a rolling multis mailing, and they do really well. So uh, the the biggest thing is is probably is address correction, trying to get an address that the Postal Service will actually deliver. That's important, but you can do that really fast. Um, all that All that address hygiene, you can upload your list, and in literally seconds, you can get it back. And it costs you a couple of bucks. And uh, and Scott Egenhouse is going to be on our meetup <clears throat> down there, WDMA. Now I put up a, a place where you can at least register. Uh, it's going to be a week from today at 2 p.m. And Scott's going to give us a little presentation about data hygiene and stuff so he can speak to this. We'll ask him hard questions. Okay, another big problem is unfamiliarity with print manufacturing. And I've seen this, I've seen more problems with this. <coughs> Excuse me, I still have a little touch of a cough. Um, with with direct mail agencies, where they, they didn't know about the printing requirements. Um, I've seen that probably more, more than with, with uh, especially with experienced users, who tend to keep the formats the same. 
Um, but I've made that I've made these mistakes. So it's it's really good to get with your printer as early as possible to make mock-ups and to have a good idea of of what's getting produced. It's also good to talk to more than one printer because sometimes a sixteenth of an inch trim size difference. Talk to your own printer. Uh, will can save you a lot of money in uh, in which press it can run on. What you want is you want to run it a long time on a on a smaller press as you, it'll fit, um, rather than because you have a lot of more waste on a big press. There's a lot more setup and that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, there are countless nuances when it comes to designing for print manufacturing and meeting postal regulations. Right. So get with your printers. Uh, also. Not understanding statistical significance, right? Um, I think I told you earlier in the week, we did some prospect modeling for in fishermen years ago, and we found that our best uh, zip code, that's oftentimes how you do prospect modeling, but we were doing a half a million per model. I mean, it was not an insignificant number. But what you find is, is that out of 50,000 zip codes, only about 20,000, even mailing a half a million, only about 20,000 get any mail at all. And most of them get one piece. And if somebody orders, it's 100% response. And if uh, in one case, we had a zip code in Arizona where two people ordered and only one person got mailed. <laughs> I mean, there was two orders from the same person. And so that was like, that was our definitive predictive modeling uh, poster child zip code. But the problem is, is that that's just a fluke. It's not significant. And so instead, what we started doing was keeping track of how many we mailed into a zip code that didn't respond and use it to rule out zip codes that were highly unlikely to respond. Um, so statistical significance is a, somewhat of an art in itself. The whole, the, whole, uh, the whole science of statistics is based on significance. And it's a little different in, in the kind of the kind of modeling we do, I mean, we have, uh, I remember, I remember uh, Connie Bauer, who taught me most of what I, what I started with in modeling, said, you can make a, a valid model with 50 customers as long as they're the right customers, yeah, as long as they're a representative sample. But she spent a lot of time figuring out what a representative sample was. And this was in the day when we were throwing around millions and millions or even hundreds of millions of transactions for Hudson Bay. And I said, well, you know, does it hurt if we use 100,000 in a model? Well, she had never had computers that could do it. And uh, so we started from the get-go that way. Um, but nowadays, with all of the one-to-one -one marketing talk for decades now, uh, everybody wants to mail three pieces of mail that are going to get a 100% response. It doesn't work that way. So... Uh, testing, though, is the best practice. And Patrick, you and I are definitely on the same page with that. Conducting and and this, I wasn't exactly sure. It would have been nice to have a few a few examples, but um, you know, oftentimes what you think is working in a test isn't exactly what what happened. I'm trying to think of a good example, um, but I can't think of one. And so Patrick, we'll have to put our heads together on this. Where we where we thought that a creative test uh, indicated, you know, A, and it really indicated B. But that's why we retest. Well, the first rule of direct mail that I learned way back in 1981 was always test something. That's from Vic Hunter. And so always test something, and when you think you've got it down, 
you might want to retest it. Okay. Uh, here's one that I might take a little issue of relying on one print partner. Well, you, you know, you got run links. You want to rely mostly on one print partner. But what you want is you want a relationship with a really good printer. So like Amazon Graphics, uh, Mary England up there was telling me a story that, you know, she was turning away business, but, you know, trying to find good printers for her customers to go to because <coughs> she couldn't get mail. She'll probably be on the on the meetup next week because she comes to these regularly. Um, and maybe we'll ask her about about, you know, is it better to have one really good print partner that can tell you when you can save a lot? by adding or subtracting a 16th of an inch trim size? Or is it better to have multiple print partners and try and play them off against each other? I know the answer to that. The answer is always best to be loyal as much as possible and to keep your printer in the loop. And you might want to add coordination with digital partners. Uh, somehow this reduces overall CPAs. I'm not sure what certified public accountants have to do with this. And I'm not sure what a CPA, I can think of three or four things a CPA could be, but not any in this sentence. So Patrick, you're going to have to get back to me on what is a CPA at the end of the article. Anyway, the ultimate mistake is abandoning uh, customer acquisition due to, due to, innocent isn't the right word, negligent campaign errors. But... Oftentimes, that's because of attribution. If your mail is designed to drive traffic to the web and you let the web guys do all the attribution, they will take all the credit. So make sure that you do some holdout testing. And if you don't know what that is, follow along. Anyway, you don't mail everybody. You mail some people and you don't mail others. This is especially effective with customer files uh, because then you can downstream look at how much they spent Again, you need tens of thousands of names in the panels to make it work out, but we always see about 300% ROI um, EBITDA, about 900% about return on ad spend for mailed customers versus unmailed. So that's the best. So there's Patrick Carroll. Have a great day. SQL response in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Oh, and they have a they have a uh, they have a direct mail testing strategy by by Eric uh, Koenig, and uh, I'll put that in the show notes over at wdma.org as well. Bye bye.